What's up, y'all? Will here at Schedule Fly. Well, we finally have another episode with a restaurant owner. It's been a couple of months. Uh, as I've mentioned <clears throat> in some of these little short episodes I've done, I've been kind of laying low on pursuing people. But I think it's it's a good time to get these things going again. And Marco Shaw was kind enough to join today. Uh, Marco is president of Red Beard Restaurants in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, phenomenal organization down there. Have five or six very successful concepts. They've got a very successful uh, not-for-profit. Um, they Marco talked about retooling their entire business model uh, during COVID and to account for just you know, what's going on in the industry, what people feel about the industry, about about working in the industry, what they like and dislike. So all of their concepts are now open uh, four days a week. Um, so this is, this is a really cool conversation. He has been all over the country, from New York to Santa Fe to New Orleans to Portland to Richmond, Durham, and now Atlanta. And I may be missing some, but Marco is a great dude. Uh, he's a father. He um, cares a lot about the people that work for him very clearly, and I really enjoy talking to him. So without further ado, um, this is Marco Shaw, Red Beer Restaurants, Atlanta, Georgia. What's up, Marco? Well, how are you today? Man, I'm really good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. <laughs> uh, dude, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I, re I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, dude, I was reading up on you. You've had a, uh, you've had a, you've had an all. Awesome Let's do this. Introduce yourself. First of all. Okay. Uh, my name is Marco Shaw. I'm the president of Red Beard Restaurants in Atlanta. Down in Atlanta, Georgia. So you've been at it a long time. You've been, uh, everywhere from Richmond and New Orleans, New York city, Portland, Santa Fe, Durham. Now you're in Atlanta. Uh, but <laughs> right. You started out with a, uh, you got a degree in psychology in college. Yes. Yes, I did. Do you, now, are you still interested? I mean, I got a degree in history and I still kind of stay interested in it, although I don't use it in any practical way. Do, do you still, are you still interested in psychology? I feel like I use it every day, just managing people. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, I was wondering if that was, a, I mean, it's a, it's a big part of what you do uh, and probably seemingly getting maybe more, more and more challenging right now is, getting people to be a part of your team, keeping those people, managing those people, helping them learn, helping them grow. Definitely. Um, well, I want to, I want to, I want to wrap to you a little bit about that. Um, so tell us about Red Beard Restaurants. Um, just what concepts y'all have down there and uh, just, you know, maybe a brief 30 second uh, history of Red Beard. Sure. We have a, we started in, uh, opened the first restaurant in 2013. That was a restaurant called Gun Show. That, uh, that restaurant's a little more eclectic. It's 100% uh, chef-driven, and the menu changes pretty frequently, so it's eclectic American. Uh, then we opened a place called Revival, which is more contemporary Southern. We opened that in 2015. Uh, in 2017, we opened a restaurant at the Ben Stadium. And then in 2019, we opened two restaurants, one called Cold Beer, which at the time was a huge restaurant. It's... Uh, Beverage focus. Then we opened uh, a coffee shop also in 2019. That's called Old Reliable. Then recently we, we shut down Cold Beer and 
uh, revamped the entire concept and relaunched that at a place called Slab Town. That just opened uh, about six weeks ago. What's it called? Slab Town. Ooh, tell me about Slab Town. Slab Town is still a bar. Um, we came out the gate pre-COVID with a, a restaurant that was very ambitious. Uh, seats about 250 people inside and outside and on a rooftop. And it was uh, very high end. And then post pandemic, we realized that we needed something that was a little more approachable. So the yeah. food's more approachable. It's more uh, user friendly for burgers and nachos and uh, something totally different than anything we've ever done before. Um, and it's a much larger beverage menu, something to appeal to uh, the masses. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and then I was reading on your site about, which I thought was really cool. I want to hear about uh, this. Is, this not-for-profit, which all started called Defend Southern Food. Tell me about that. So in during the pandemic, uh, we did a few things as we brought our restaurant back. We partnered with a couple organizations in town. Out of one restaurant, we partnered with uh, Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen for funding. And from through there, we fed 500 families, 500 people a day uh, for about six months. A day? And then a day and then um, uh, five days a week. And then out of the restaurant we had cold beer at the time, we partnered with another organization called I'm a father first. And we raised capital for that and brought a few people back to work. And from there we fed uh, 700 uh, kids in the Atlanta public school system. And we did, we did that through 2020 um, up until around November. And then at that point we, we had always wanted to do some sort of philanthropic thing and realized that we're on a higher end of the dining, uh, of the scale of what it costs to go out to dinner. We've always wanted to find a way to, a better way to give back and realize that, you know, as we're, as, as we're doing what we're doing, there's so many people out there who just can't feed themselves. So we decided that we, would, we wanted to continue feeding people. So we partnered with a, uh, we, we raised capital. Uh, we got a, uh, sponsor through the player, a group called the, the Players Philanthropy Players Philanthropy Fund, and they they uh, they help establish our five hundred one c three status, and we work with uh, a school pod here in Atlanta that's five elementary schools that feed into one middle school that feed into one high school, and uh, and the social workers in those schools, and they identify families in need. So through there, we provide meals for 125 families, uh, dinners, where these kids all qualify for free or reduced breakfast and lunch. Uh, we fill in the dinner factor. We send, we send home a dinner for up to eight people. That's, that's awesome, man. You got your, uh, you got a full plate. Uh, actually, <laughs> <truly> cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. So, going back a little bit you got you know you went you went to um college got a degree in psychology and then you you are now uh running a, a very impressive restaurant organization you've been in the business for i think over 20 years if i read that correctly um just over 30 now over 30 now well congratulations man thank you i mean that's no that's no small feat in the last you know two or three years of have been uh as challenging as, as any could be probably for, for people in the restaurant space. I, mean, I don't know how it's like, 
they threw everything at you and, and here y'all are. Um, so I tip my hat to that. That's that Thank takes you. a lot of resolve and grit and determination and hustle and faith and optimism and, you know, rolling the sleeves up and probably doing when you probably didn't feel like it a lot of times, but, um, and then to expand and grow into serving others is a, is a really amazing thing. Um, what I find to have been, you know, we've been, been doing this for 15 years here at schedule fly and, I've done so many of these podcasts and I feel so fortunate because I feel like I learn from y'all and I get inspired from y'all every time I speak to people that do what you do, because, you know, running a restaurant is, is a, it's a tough business. It takes a special type. There's a lot of people that, you know, Hey, I'm a good cook. I want to right. be a, own a restaurant. That's that, there's a huge disconnect there because it is, it is like, it takes all these different skills, financial acumen, leadership, um, you know, all these other skills that have nothing to do with, with cooking, uh, being able to, to inspire people in your community, giving back to your community, being a welcoming place and a gathering place for families that want to celebrate or mourn or whatever. Um, what, like, when did you know, Marco, you got into the business as a lot of people do when they're young, maybe just to make some money or whatever. Like, when did it hit you? This is what you really loved and what you wanted to do. Uh, pretty immediately. I worked in a, I waited tables in a restaurant in Richmond uh, before I was, I was slated to start med school to be, a, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I waited tables in a restaurant in Richmond uh, and I fell in love with that, with that, that whole feeling of throwing a party every night and people were coming and celebrating anniversaries and birthdays and engagements. And I really liked that energy. And I went to the owner of that restaurant probably four months into uh, waiting tables there and asked him, Hey, I, I want to, I think I want to, I want to do this. I want to own a restaurant and I want, I want to throw parties every day. Uh, what do you think I should do? And he goes, well, you can, you have multiple ways to go about it. You can keep working at it and, and learn how to do it or, you know, and learn the management aspect or you can learn the cooking aspect. That's what you're more interested in. And at the time, uh, then I talked to the chef and it seemed like the best way for me to go about it was, was to, to learn how to cook and operate the kitchen and learn from other people and then take classes in hotel restaurant management so I, I could learn how to do. I didn't want to learn other people's bad habits. I wanted to learn the right the right way to, to operate a restaurant, like uh, the way they teach you in school. And, and my degree was in something different. So um, after talking to the owner and the chef, and they set me on the path of doing an apprenticeship and going to culinary school and getting my postgraduate in hotel restaurant management. And I just, yeah, I, I knew pretty, like, probably like third month in it, third or fourth month in it. Like, this is, this is awesome. I want to, I want, I want to do this. Every day. <laughs> and so you went and um, you, you've been to, you've been to a lot of different, really great culinary cities, traditionally great culinary cities from all the, from New Orleans, mm -hmm. New York, Portland, Santa Fe. Do, do any of those, and, and there you are in Atlanta now, but I'm just curious, like, tell me a little bit about what you learned in the different, the different cities that you were in and, and yeah. from the culinary perspective or just how you saw people run businesses maybe differently or how they operate or what the culture right. was like in those towns that you picked up. So when I started cooking, it was in 92 and I was in Richmond, uh, no internet. Um, <laughs> it's mostly cookbooks and food magazines. One of the chefs there gave me a, a, a subscription to a magazine called food arts and I was looking through food arts and I could see all these different chefs around the country doing 
different types of food. And I, I realized that's it. I, I, that's what I want to do. I want to do, I want to learn different types of Americana. Everyone was doing French or Italian. And I'm like, I, I really want to learn different types of Americana. So as I'm reading these magazines, cookbooks, I saw all these different people in different. New Orleans has its own tradition. Santa Fe has its, they have their own food style. California has its own food styles. Uh, in, in Virginia has their own food styles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked people that I wanted to work for and I would either write them letters uh, or move to a city and just show up and try to work for these people. And each, each, each of them I learned a style of American and techniques. Um, I wanted to work for chefs that were actually in the buildings and working the line or expediting so I could ask questions all the time. And then places, almost everyone was willing to show you stuff. And then when it came down to front of the house stuff, I was fortunate to be in restaurants where the GMs and the bookkeepers were really open. And I could, I just took notes on everything. I learned things I wanted to do and things I would never, ever do. And then you learn, you know, you see other people's, uh, the small, small details that people do, like what type of light bulbs they use in a building, what, what kind of lighting how big their bathrooms are, how they run their lineups, uh, how do they keep track of their, all their inventory, when they do it, all these different things. I took notes on them. So that by the time I opened my first restaurant, I had notebooks on notebooks and notebooks on, of ideas and things that I had to read it through and learn on the on the the non-food side, just the operational stuff, plus all the people I had learned from cooking. Just, I felt like I was at a point in my life I was ready to do my own thing. And, put all those pieces together and try to do it. Where was your first restaurant that you owned? First restaurants were in in Portland. Okay. Was that a, uh, did you raise money for that? Or was that, like, how did you go about financing that? I got a small, a small, small business loan. And then the rest I raised money through, um, I was a chef at a, of a, at a restaurant in, in Portland. I got to know a lot of the diners and was, uh, made a small name for myself. Uh, and then there were a lot of customers who, were, who I, who I uh, developed rapport with. And then I would reach out to them to tell them what, I, what my plan was and if, if they could have a few people for dinner. And I fixed dinner for them and up to 10 friends. And then I'd pitch my business plan to them. And I, I basically sold about $150,000 off They all got, they all got uh, gift cards and we, or gift, yeah, gift certificates in, in return for their investment. Inflation aside, do you, you think you could start a restaurant for whatever you started it for back then, like now, under the same, like if you had that same amount? I was my first restaurant in 2002, bro. And I put everything in, all the electrical, concrete, like 230. I, I'm, I might be able to do that in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, <laughs> <laughs> but not many of these big cities that hard. Well, um, so you got you had your first place. You're out there in Portland. How long were you there before you moved somewhere else? I was in Portland for 13 years. My oh. wife is from there. I met my wife in Santa Fe, and she's from Portland. That's how we ended up there. And we were there uh, until 2000. I left Portland in 2009. Okay, gotcha. Where did you and where did y'all go after that? Durham. Oh, and you opened a place in Durham. Okay, so that's where you went to Durham and then from Durham to Atlanta, right? Yep. Yeah, I moved to Durham in, in 2009, uh, partnered with a couple that was looking to open a restaurant. Um, 
and they had a restaurant in the farm. I, I was really interested in that aspect. In Portland, I, my first restaurant was, uh, except for citrus, salt and pepper, everything came from within 100 miles of the restaurant. So extreme farm, like everything, herbs, we had to grow them or stored them and made ourselves or came from a small farm. We had no broadliners. No, I had a, I used Cisco. I used a broadliner for like paper products, plastic wrap, trash bags, uh, and citrus. And then everything else came from a small farm or I had a couple of guys who fish for me and ranchers. So re doing that again somewhere in North, like North Carolina seemed uh, appropriate and appealing. And I met a couple that had a farm in Hillsboro. Yeah, uh, and a restaurant and a restaurant at the time in in Raleigh, and they were, they wanted to open something in Durham. So I joined their partnership team, and four of us had a restaurant in Raleigh and one in Durham. Um. Okay, and then uh, and so you were married at the time when you moved, yeah. and you had you. I know you're a father. How many kids do you have? Two. Two. Yeah. How old are they? My son. It will be seventeen uh, in August, and my daughter uh, is twelve. Okay, so well, that the reason I asked, I was wondering if they're uh, about that age. I've got a, uh, I have an eighteen-year-old. She just graduated. She's going off to college. I got a fifteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old, two boys and a girl. Right. My fifteen-year-old son is, um, he goes in tomorrow for his his uh, interview at Chick Fil A for his, you know, his first job. Right. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I I really wanted him to be. Uh, I thought it was important that he be in, in a restaurant setting. And I think to start Chick-fil-A does a great job of just training and just, I mean, I'm just always kind of admired their, their process and how they pull off doing what they do so well. Um, I don't know how they identify the correct people. They don't have anyone who works with them who's unhappy in their job. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's something pretty phenomenal about I, how they choose employees. I, I don't get it. I mean, I know that there's, and there's like, even now with as hard as it is to find people to work, like there's a lot of demand. Like I hope he gets the job. Right, you know? right, right. right. <laughs> but I was so, so you got a 17 year old, is your 17 year old uh, interested in restaurants too, or different interests? Different interests, but I mean, he has spent some time working. He, he's, he's worked a little bit, busing tables, uh, food running and things like that. I just feel like restaurants are such a, um, I want him to start there and then we'll kind of get, we'll see over the next couple of summers. I think restaurants are like, no matter what you're going to do, I'm completely convinced as a teenager, the skills that you would learn working in a restaurant, if you get dialed in with like a, a good operator, like, right. like you guys, and you, you're, you know, willing to listen and learn, like you said, you right. took off, you know, even if you don't want to be in restaurants, like the ability to, navigate all the things you have to navigate in a restaurant with right. operating at a fast pace, but then making it seem calm and slow for the customer mm -hmm. and making them feel warm and welcome while there's just chaos and all this stuff. Going. I feel like it's a really, really valuable skill set that um, all what you learn would serve you well in any field ultimately, because there's, there's yeah, not many things that just take like this, I mean, for six, eight hours, whatever it is, you know, 10 hours, you're just like high pace, but you got to stay calm. And like, it's a, right. right. Yeah. Takes a unique type. So do you have, um, Marco, do you have people that I'm sure you have over the years? I'm curious if you still have people that 
remind you of yourself that are young and interested and taking notes and wanting to learn and wanting to pursue this as a career? Do you still see that? Yeah, not as much as you did for uh, maybe 15 years ago, but I, or even like within the last three years, I, I think that's post-pandemic, a lot of things have changed. But I still do find a lot of people who are, especially cooks mm. and bartenders who are looking at this more as a career and uh, excited about that possibility, who ask a lot of questions and always curious about how to get to the next level. Um, our industry doesn't do the same for um, I don't think it offers the same opportunity for servers all the time. I think it attracts a certain type of person who is looking for quick money and um, likes the flexibility. So uh, often it's a second job or it's a path for them to get where they need to get, get to for a lot of the front of house employees. But occasionally you find some who are, who are career servers or, or look at this as a, a career path. Do, are y'all uh, there in Atlanta? Is it still still really challenging to find people to come back to work? Extremely hard. Yeah, there's a lot of things I learned uh, post pandemic. I didn't. I had no idea that this many people didn't enjoy working in the business until I read about all the people who felt burned out or mistreated. And yep, just so many people. So when we brought the restaurants back my brought like we, we shut down March 15th like most people did of 2020 and then we opened the first restaurant in May and then no in June, July and August built three successful I reopened restaurants. We came back with a whole different format. Um, like we, we all the restaurants were five day a week. Like I'll, I'll, I've only had five day a week restaurants previously and we came back I'm, I'm only operating four days a week four? so we re, I retooled the entire model of everything that we do so that we can figure out how to operate with less people but also how to operate so, and I, I'm forcing everyone into a um, into a different lifestyle so that all the restaurants are closed three days in a row so everyone has like a gun show, everyone's off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And every five on slide time, those restaurants to close Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So we're we're only operating four day a week businesses. Um, so that it, it's the work life balance. I'm kind of forcing everyone into it. And then we have we've had to change our model and everything, pricing, how we how much we're how we're paying people, uh, the benefits that we offer. So I'm trying to do a lot of things that are more reactive. And, and proactive to the current work environment. Uh, and as we've learned more about how people actually talked about working in the business, trying to create a, a different environment so that everyone feels appreciated and they, they realize that we actually don't just call it family and, and say these things that we actually kind of treat everyone as if we, as if, you know, it takes all of us to make this work. So I, mean, I want to make sure everyone realizes that we do care about their off time. Wow, dude, that is phenomenal. Four days a week. Um, that's no small feat to <laughs> retool your entire model and still, you know, I mean, there's so much, there's, God, there's just, there's so much that goes along with that. And right, because nothing else changes. Rent doesn't change. Yeah. Insurance doesn't change. You got fixed costs that are going Right. God, right. man. So instead, I've been able to drop the total payroll number down, but, you know, we're still, I mean, people are making 
I think my, I know for a fact that everyone who works with me makes more now than they were pre-pandemic. Hmm. But I have less of them. So my payroll percentage is lower. But no one's working. I, 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 there's only a few people who are working over 40 hours. So when you say, when you talk about how hard it is to find people to work now, is it, is it hourly employees or managers or, or Everyone. both? Everyone. Both. Yeah. Hourly yeah. employees are really hard, but I mean, even, even finding managers or salary, you know, any salary employees. What's everybody doing? Like, where did, they, where did all the people <laughs> that work in the restaurants go? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think some people are, a lot of people struck out on their own. And did their own, or, or you know, they're doing yeah. their own catering, or they they're doing pop ups, or they got into something else. They figured out how to sell something on Etsy, um, and then you know, a lot of people died. Yeah, it's a lot of different things. A lot of people moved on, or moved to different cities, or moved back home, or you know, some people some people made life changing money during the pandemic. Like if you're if you're a fourteen dollar an hour dishwasher somewhere. Then you got stimulus checks and unemployment from the state that are, and some people are making more money than they ever made. So there's some people save money. A lot of people spent it, but a lot of people actually you know, were able to save money and do something different. Um, all right. I have to ask you this. I was reading your bio, you know, on your site, and uh, you mentioned that your, your favorite period in time was medieval Britain. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What gifts? <laughs> So I had this I had this King Arthur fascination as a young kid. Oh, uh, I don't know I, I don't know where it came from. There, there's a uh, there's a great podcast. You ever listen to podcasts? I mean, you're on. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, there's a great podcast called Hardcore History by a guy named Dan Carlin. And um, oh, it's the most amazing thing to listen to on a long trip. It's like four hours about one event. Yeah. So you've heard it. You've heard. Oh something. yeah, I've listened to it. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> well, one I, okay, then then I definitely want to tell you about this. I had written this down that I was there. He did one on um. He did one episode, and what it was like three or four hours, and it was it it was on the Anabaptist revolt in Munster, Germany, in like thirteen sixty three or something like that. And I was like, "Who cares?" And then I listened to it. I'm like, "This is awesome!" Like, I was like <laughs> the level of detail that guy goes into is pretty amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. He's he's great. He makes it. He makes history very interesting. I always felt like, yeah. I mean, you know, I felt like that's the way you should teach it. If you, you know, I mean, he's got a unique right. skill set. And he said, as he says, he's not a historian, but he makes you so interested. You just want to learn. You don't care what he's talking about. Like whatever it is, right. that's fascinating. Like, oh yeah. Um, and also, okay, so I also saw that you're a Garth Brooks fan. I wouldn't say I'm a Garth Brooks fan, but when I worked in Richmond. I worked in a restaurant that they when when, when the greatest hit albums came out and it was nonstop. Oh, you, you got so, so just 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 by proxy, I learned every I learned all the lyrics from hearing it on a regular basis. <laughs> Did you know that that dude has sold more albums than any musician right. in history? It's like him, and then a few million below him is Elvis, and then it's right. like massive drop off until like the Beatles or whatever. Like I, I, I learned that recently. I had no clue. I was like, that's not true. And I looked it up and it's totally true. He's, he's sold like 157 million albums or something like that. Um, yeah, it's quite amazing. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Uh, well, look, man, I, uh, 
I don't want to keep you much longer. I know you're a busy guy, but I appreciate you taking time. I appreciate your business, uh, you know, from the schedule fly perspective, but really appreciate you, you know, doing yet another thing to kind of give back to the community that, you know, of, of restaurants and people that listen to this podcast and sharing your wit and wisdom. And um, I, I'm congrats on, on retooling that business, man. That is definitely thank you. There's a lot of work. That's it's a still, lot. Still, that's, that's, yeah, I'm still, still figuring it out on a regular basis, but you know, it's got to be, you got to find ways to recruit people and to keep people happy and make them want to stay and working for you and with you. Well, keep, keep fighting the good fight, man. Y'all are doing great work and um, we're proud to serve you. We appreciate you. And, uh, and just, I, I thank you very much for the time today, Marco. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Will. All right, man. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks.